So look in your Bible, if you would please, the book of Matthew, chapter number 9. I'd like to begin reading in verse 35. I'd like to talk to you today about missions mandate or the mandate of our church. What should our church be doing? A mandate is an authoritative command. What has our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus, commanded us to do? And if we're not careful, we'll get sidetracked from the main thing and start doing a good thing and forget all about the main thing. So what is the main thing at Joshua Baptist Church? What should the main thing be? So it would be all right today if we got back to the main thing of making the main thing the main thing. Verse 35, the Bible says, but when, uh, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. There is no There is no, you say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to tell you there is no lack in the harvest. The lack is in the harvesters. Jesus did not say pray for the harvest. He said pray for the harvesters. Today, there is no lack of people who need to be saved. But there is a tremendous lack of those who are willing to be laborers in the harvest of lost souls for our Savior. We are his representatives. And Jesus left us his very plain and explicit instructions on how we are to reap the harvest. And he says to us today, pray you therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now I want to please admonish you. Don't get tight like I'm going to jump down your throat and chew you out cause you're backslidden and unconcerned about people. 
please do not think that I'm here to rebuke you for caring nothing about people dying and going to hell. Don't, don't get mad because I'm not going to do that. I'd like to admonish you if I could the same way our Lord admonished his disciples. He said, I want you to lift up your eyes and look past our comfortable positions in life. Lift up your eyes and look past all of your sins being gone and you've got a place secure at the right hand of God, a mansion built just for you. Lift up your eyes and forget about worshiping me for just a minute, Jesus said. Lift up your eyes. This is not a worship service. This is a looking service. Lift up your eyes and look under the fields. Would it be all right this morning for just a minute for you and I, if it's humanly possible, to see just a minute what Jesus saw when he looked at the harvest? Would it be possible for you and I to look past our puny little problems that one second after we're dead won't mean one hill of beans. Would it be all right if we just, for a moment, forget about the golf game on television and the Olympics on television and look past all of that and could you and I for just a minute look through the spiritual eye of the word of God and get a glimpse of what Jesus saw when he looked at the harvest. The first thing he saw was an unchanging purpose. Folk, people who do not know Christ are lost. Can you understand lost? Lost. The Bible said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What in the world, preacher, does lost mean? Lost means you don't know which way it is back to the house. Have you ever been lost? I mean really lost. And you stop and at some redneck where you are, and he says to you, if you don't know where you are, I can't help you. Everybody needs to know where they are. But lost indicates you don't know the way back home. And since the Garden of Eden, when God expelled man out of the garden, when God separated himself from himself, man has been lost. And there's only one way back home. 
And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I didn't know that when I was 26. I didn't realize that hell was a reality. I had no idea that somebody loved me so much that he came and paid my sin debt and that I could be saved instead of lost. I didn't know that until somebody knocked on my door one night on Thursday night and walked in my house and he explained to me that I was lost. He explained to me on my couch that Jesus came to show me the way back home. He explained to me how that I could be saved. I wonder, can you see just a minute today your next door neighbor, your own children, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your aunt, your boss, your employer, your work cohort, are they lost? Are they lost? Would you cry out to someone's house is on fire? Would you stop by the wayside helping the little lady fix her flat? But would you stop by just a minute to realize what Jesus realized that the harvest must be gathered, souls must be saved. I read the other day that the Lord is not slack concerned his promise, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world. You remember that? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Somebody tell me. Everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Oh, there is an unchange in purpose when Jesus looked at the harvest of mankind. All of those that are scattered and fainting by the wayside. He was moved with compassion and told his disciples, look at the harvest. How long has it been since you looked at somebody spiritually instead of physically? How long has it been since you looked at a person and tried to look through eternity and see that person in a heaven instead of a hell? It's an unchanging purpose. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. An unchanging purpose. Notice not only that, but an unreached People, Think about it, if you would, please. Multitudes, the Bible said, multitudes. He saw the multitudes. Folk, everybody in the world's got any sense in moving to Texas. And most of them to Joshua and Godley and Burleson. And did you know that everybody that moves into our community that is not saved. The Bible said there's none righteous. No, not one. That includes all Yankees. 
and especially Californians. Amen. For there's none righteous, no, not one. That one moving next door, not righteous. That one across the street, not righteous. That one who's just been employed at your company, not righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If they wear a necktie, they're still not righteous. If they wear a t-shirt, they're still not righteous. And most of the time, the t-shirts will let you know they're not righteous. If they got bumper stickers, they're not righteous. Can you say amen? But when Jesus looked and saw the multitude, he wants you and I in Joshua Baptist Church right here in 2018. He wants us to realize and lift our eyes and see what he saw. He saw an unchanging purpose. He saw an unreached people. You see, the Bible talks about family, friends, and foes. They're lost. Lost. You don't have to babysit too many kids to know that they're a sinner. Amen. They'll steal your tea while you're not looking. Put little floaties in your tea when you're not looking. Then you drink it, they smile and say, oops, I didn't mean to do that, Grandpa. Family, friends, and foe, they're lost. Faint. Fearful and fragile. They're lost, scattered, shiftless and satisfied. They're lost. You name it, they're lost. If you know them, more than likely they're lost. If you speak to them throughout the day, more than likely. If they die, you'll never speak to them again because they'll end up in hell. Multitudes, Jesus said. Multitudes. Multitudes. Can I say, except you repent, Jesus said, you shall likewise perish. Hmm? Preacher, I'm so scared. I can't tell anybody how to be saved. Don't have to, just tell them what happened to you. And if something happened to you, come see me and I'll tell you how, what happened to me. I'm concerned about the day in which we live kind of Christianity people are embracing. Honest. Uh, they, they have a Christianity without Christ. A relationship without repentance. Amen. And there's no such thing. Uh, they're going to heaven without the way. Uh, they're going to heaven some other way. And I'm, 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 I'm helping you now. That ain't going to work. Uh, and we can wear our suits and we have hot walls above our ears and be so fundamental we carry a King James Bible and let everybody in the world go to hell. And make excuses all the time while we're not caring about them. And throw rocks at everybody else that's not doing it like we're doing. Come on, say amen now. What Jesus saw was an unchanging purpose. What Jesus saw was an unreached people. Then he said something about an untapped, untapped potential. Notice this in your text. Pray ye therefore. Pray ye therefore. How long has it been since you prayed? 
tears in your eyes about somebody's destiny. Pray ye therefore. I read for you out of the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Please listen. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now there's some folks you can pray for and some folks you'd just rather not pray for. So you pray for them, you pray that they'll get a ticket next time they go down the street. That's better than praying that they get killed. It says, pray for all kings and for all in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Prayer gets God's attention. Prayer gets God involved. I know somebody so mean that God cannot save. You don't even know anybody that God cannot save. I know somebody so mean they have to handcuff him at night to keep him from choking himself to death in his sleep. God specializes in that kind of guy. The Bible said those that are forgiven much, love much. And those that God has reached down in the deep, deep, dark pit of sin and lifted them up by the grace of God and set their feet on the solid rock and established their going, they love much and they serve much. Can you say amen? Yes, sir. An untapped potential prayer is partnership with the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord that would have all men saved. Prayer gets all that God offers. Prayer gets all that God offers. Do you know anybody, 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 that might close their eyes today and wake up in the pits of the damned. Do you know anybody today, possibly, kinfolk, friends, and neighbors that might wake up tomorrow morning with murderers and whoremongers and liars and sorcerers and in the lake of fire, which is the second death. I pray to this ain't the kind of message I want to hear on Sunday morning. <laughs> Got more than you paid for, didn't you? 
Can you see what Jesus saw? Would it be possible for us just to lift our eyes above our little world and see somebody else's world fainting and scattered and hurting, confused, not knowing the way back to God. I was writing an article for a paper. I don't know why they asked me to write articles for a paper because I'm not a very good writer. And I wrote about this particular text. And then I was thinking about three words that I'd like to leave with you in 10 minutes. Really, they're not really that long. I could leave it in two minutes. But you have no place to go till 12. Because you're planning on staying that long anyhow. See, so you'd be confused as to what to do if I let you out now. So I turned to the book of Psalms 126. Let me give you just three words. Three words for us today on the mandate for Joshua Baptist Church. I don't have time to do the whole psalm. But the context of the psalm is God's people have been off into captivity for 70 long years. 70 long years they've been in Babylon in captivity. Cyrus becomes king and issues a mandate and proclamation that the Jews can go home. Four month journey across the Arabian desert from Babylon to Judea. Four months across that desert and now they can go home. And they go home. And verse one says, and when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion and we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing and then said they among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us, whereof we're glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And when they got back to Judea, when they got back to Jerusalem, 70 days, 70 years of no one tilling the ground, 70 years of no crops being grown, 70 years of the land laying fallow, 70 years of no provision, 70 years there the land lays without anybody to tend it, without anybody to bear it, and without anybody to harvest it. And then he said, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The man that sows the seed not only sows the seed and leaves a trail of seed behind him all the time. He's weeping, burdened for the harvest. 
Because he knows if those seeds do not come up. He knows if they do not spring to life. He knows if they don't produce a harvest, there's no substance for his family. Death is sure. And they that sow in tears shall reap how? Enjoy. Oh, the land's barren. The, the captivity has seen to that. But he that goeth forth weep and bear in precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You ever heard that old song? Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Not a smile on a face around here. What's the matter? Everybody's worried about what time we get out. What's happened to our joy? No, preacher, you need to hurry. What's happened to just coming to church and listening to the word of God and having an old-fashioned shouting spell every once in a while and instead of raising hell, we raise a little heaven. Can anybody say amen? Maybe, bless your heart, we're still in captivity around here. Maybe we're walking around like it's a nightmare instead of it's a dream. Well, I might get to preaching in a minute. Please notice three words. Three words. Going. Second word, sowing. Third word, glowing. (laughs) You ought to be able to see on a Christian's face that he's been to Calvary. You don't know who to shake hands with around the Baptist church. I mean, if they had their gunpowder for breakfast, they'll blow up right in your face. <laughs> you know the fellow feels bad when he feels good, will fear for fear he'll feel worse when he feels better. You know them You know what's happened to us? We have an introverted Christianity. It's good for us. And everybody else can go to hell. We might still be in captivity. Because how long has it been since it's been so good being a Christian? You just got to reach over and pinch yourself to see if you're asleep or not. Must be dreaming. That's what happened to Ginger when she married me. She has to walk around and pinch herself. She thinks she's died and gone to love heaven. Until she's got to help the old man out of bed. <laughs> Come on, say man. You know what I'm talking about. Huh? Listen to me. Going. He that goeth forth. Going forth. The Bible talks about going forth. Go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. 
every creature. Our church wants to be obedient to that. That's why we're having a missions conference all next month. That's why we're having Dr. Sam Davis come in. We want somebody to challenge us to go into all the world. We support about 100 missionaries around the world every month, faithfully, every month. Never miss one. We don't plan on missing one. We don't need the money. What we need is laborers into the harvest field. Uh, we, 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 want, we want to be a going church. Notice, if you would, the priority is going. As my Father has sent me, you know the rest of that? Even so, do what? Sin I you. Jesus was the greatest example. Everywhere he went, bless your heart. I mean, he went everywhere preaching the gospel, did he not? I remember one time he was, uh, uh, went down, was walking down the road and there was a tax collector by the name of Levi. And he went into Levi's business and told Levi, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Why? He went to get a drink one day down to well. And a woman came by. And Jesus was not too thirsty to share with her the water of life. Why, one day he was walking down the street and he noticed a little squint-eyed Jew up a sycamore tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, if you'll just come down, uh, salvation will come to your house today. Uh, everywhere he went, he was always going. He did not sit around and wait till people come to him. He was going. I, I believe, bless your heart, uh, you know, that fellow over in the graveyard. I bet he's glad that Jesus came by his way, don't you? Ha! And got rid of his chains and his fetters and put his clothes on, went back home and made a daddy to his family. I bless your heart. I think that's good. Oh, by the way, while he was dying, he took time to win a thief to Jesus Christ. What are we doing? I, I, I don't want to upset you or anything. But I think our church needs to be a going church. I think your pastor needs to be a going pastor. Amen. Not this one. <laughs> I think all of us need to be going Christians. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again. A going. A sowing. Notice, he that go forth weeping, sowing precious seed. Precious seed. Here's the precious seed. Hmm? The word the Bible talks about, I, I believe with all my heart, the word. The seed is the word of God, Luke 8 and 11. John 6, the words I speak are life. I was reading this morning. I'm not too sure about some of the stuff I read unless I'm reading this. But when they excavated King Tuck's burial place, the pyramid. Some of the treasures that was found in King Tuck's burial was seed, S-E-E-D. They estimated it being 3,000 years old. The scientists took the seed that was 3,000 years old, put it in fertile soil, and sprinkled it with water. And would you believe? Wasn't too long until something green began to sprout. Life is in the seed. 
The Bible said these are the words of life. That sinner that is dead in trespasses and sin. No fertile soil, if you please. No water of life. But to sprinkle the words of life, but God commended his love toward you in that while you were a sinner, Christ died. And those seed begin to fall on a heart that is fertile. And pretty soon we see sprouts of life come into fruition. Amen. It's not you that produces life. It's the word that produces life. <laughs> All this needs is somebody who will just sow it. It's alive. It works. It's eternal. Can you say amen? We don't need to pray for seed. We got seed. We just need somebody who will straw it everywhere they go. Down at the job. Down at the service station down at the cafe, wherever it might be. But the word needs to be sown. Notice it says, go forth and weep. And I, 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 I regret that our church is so dry-eyed. Hmm? Dry-eyed. It's not manly to cry, but it's Christian. Well, it's sissy to cry. The next time Jay Ford stands up and shouts and tears starts flowing, just walk up to him and say, you big sissy, then duck. <laughs> hmm? We've lost our tear. We've lost our burden. Jeremiah said, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears that I may weep night and day for my daughter of my people. The great apostle Paul said, I say the truth in Christ I lie not. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. For I have heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself accursed from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen's according to the flesh. And one chapter later, in chapter 10 in verse 1, my heart's desire prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was so burdened for his kinfolk that he looked God straight in the eye and said the Holy Ghost of God is my witness. If you'll just save my kinfolk, I'll gladly go to hell for them. If the bus leaves tomorrow, I'll give somebody else my seat and you can send me to hell if you'll just save my kinfolk. 
That's Christianity. That's normal for folk that have been saved and forgiven. Oh, we've lost our burden. We don't see that weeping that we used to see for sinners. You say, preacher, this is a Sunday night message. We'll come back and I'll preach it tonight then. And then there's a warning. A warning. Therefore, watch. And remember, Paul said, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. My question in closing is where are the tears at Joshua Baptist Church? Where is the passion for somebody else? Where's the burden? I'm talking about our own immediate family. Parent, don't let your kids go to hell because you're afraid. They may think you're a fanatic if you talk about Jesus too much. God help us. Our compassion has given away to complacency and comfort and convenience. While innocent, lost folk don't know which way it is back to the Father. A sowing, a going, and a glowing. And the Bible said, I think I read it right. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with what? Some of you look like you could stand some of that. Hmm? Never shall forget, I'll close with this, might have told you before, never shall forget when I first got saved, 50 years ago, 51 years ago, I don't know. Maybe been last week. I have no idea. You forget a lot of things when you get old. I never shall forget. When I got saved, the preacher was always harping about soul winning. I hadn't been saved but a week, maybe a couple of weeks. And I thought maybe he meant that every Christian... ought to go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, coming with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with him. Well, I didn't know one verse in the Bible. I thought when they talked about John 3.16, it was a cubic inches in a Chevrolet engine. Had no idea. But my preacher told me, he said, Gene, if you don't win people to Christ, you won't be worth much for Christ. That's what he told me. Nose to nose, eyeball by. He wasn't preaching. Me and him were talking. And I was an in, thumb-sucking introvert. I was so bashful, have slip up on a mirror to comb my hair. Failed college because I wouldn't give an oil report in English. That's all I like. 
get my degree. I told them, you keep your degree, I'll keep my chicken liver life and I'll leave. So, how can I, who know nothing about winning people to Christ, how can I do that? And I found a book. Let's go soul winning. And I took that book and I read that book. And I got over there in a page and it said, you don't need to know one verse to win somebody to Christ. Not one single verse. And you can win people to Christ. That was me. I did not know one. Now it ain't time to pray. You can look up. I'm not selling books. We only got three of them in, we only got three of them in, the, in the bookstore. And, uh, and so I took that book and I went home and I went and read that book. And it's not an intimidating book. Not very thick. And to help people like me, got big words. And this book said, Gene, go buy you a New Testament. Now that's pretty cheap. That's pretty, that's pretty easy. Does anybody here understands? Go buy. The problem is not go buy. The problem is I don't care. Now, every sinner in the world can die and go to hell, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to learn how to tell them how to miss it. And I bought that book. And this book told me to turn to Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and put that little ribbon in your Bible at Romans 3 verse 10 because that's the only way I could have found it. If somebody had moved that ribbon, I'd have been in a world of hurt. And I put that ribbon in Romans 3, verse 10. And I went down to Romans 3 and verse 10, and the book says, underline the verse. That was pretty good. So I underlined the verse. And then it said by Romans 3, 10, write Romans 3, 23. That meant when I got through reading Romans 3, 10, to read Romans 3.23. Said so when you get to Romans 3.23, underline Romans 3.23 and right beside that, Romans 5 and 8. And I did that and I wrote me out a map through my New Testament. I had a fellow working for me whose name was Don who lived in Wiley, Texas and for some reason or another when I got through marking my Bible, something impressed my heart. You need to go talk to Don. I said, let somebody else, he works for me, the relationship's not very good anyhow. No, you need to go talk to Don. I marked my Bible, and mind you, I can't quote one verse, can't find one verse, but I can find that little deal. See this deal? You don't need a theology degree to find ribbon in Bible. 
So I took ribbon in Bible and put it in Romans 3.10. After looking for several hours, I found it. I got in my truck and I drove to Wiley, Texas. And I walked into Don's house with my New Testament in my hand. I said, since you work for me, sit down. I want to talk to you. He said, that's not the way you do it. That's the way I did it. I said, Don, it says right here in the book, if you died today, do you know 100% for sure you'd go to heaven? He said, not likely. You know how I've been living. I said, yes, but that's what the book said to say. And I said, would you mind if I showed you in the Bible how that you can go to heaven? Don't forget, Don, you work for me. Yes, sir, you can show me. And I took him down the Roman road. And when I got through, I said, now, would you like to bow your head and invite Christ into your heart? He said, no. I said, that is not what the book said. (laughs) So Don, now let's go back over where the ribbon is. And again, I showed him what the Bible said about being saved and about being saved having a relationship with Christ. And I said, now, Don, would you like to invite Christ into your heart? He said, no. I didn't know what to say. I just said, well, thank you for allowing me to show you what God wanted me to show you. And I went out and got in my truck started home and a little bit of heaven landed in my truck that night. I had done the best of my ability what God wanted me to do. The rest of it was up to God. And he filled my truck that evening with his presence. And I was so proud that I'd stumbled through what God had asked me to do. And for 50 years, I've been stumbling through. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world, so death by sin, so death passed upon all men. For all have sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture saith, Whoso believeth him shall not be ashamed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't have to have it written down anymore. Because I've used it so much over these years. It's just second nature now. Would you lift your eyes today? Would you look to see what Jesus saw? Feel what Jesus felt. And tell what Jesus told.